102.5 FM and now 102.3 FM. NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Shook. President Biden is forming an outline for what he wants to do differently in the second year of his term. During a press conference at the White House, Biden was asked whether he was satisfied with his team. The president said he would be speaking to the public more often and seeking advice from more outside experts. Biden rejected suggestions that he's trying to pull Democrats to the left. He insisted he's not a socialist, like Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. I'm a mainstream Democrat and I have been. And mainstream Democrats have overwhelmed. If you notice, the 48 of the 50 Democrats supported me in the Senate on virtually everything I've asked. House Democrats may try to bundle a new COVID relief bill with a larger budget measure. The government runs out of money in about a month without a spending extension. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told reporters the COVID relief measure could be tagged as emergency spending. It's unclear how much money may be involved. The Supreme Court is rejecting former President Trump's attempt to block the release of White House records. This move paves the way for the committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot to receive over 700 pages of documents. Trump had previously claimed he had executive privilege as a former president to stop the records from being released. The surge in illegal immigration at the southern border goes on. Lisa Taylor has more. There were nearly 179,000 encounters in December. That's up about 6,000 month over month, according to data that the Biden administration provided to a federal court. It's the latest sign that the crisis at the border is likely to continue into this year. The report shows only a small percentage of those caught were released into the country with orders to report. Artists Jay-Z, Killer Mike, Meek Mill, and Fat Joe are among the performers backing a new bill to prevent targeting of their lyrics. You're listening to the latest from NBC News Radio. Attention Medicare recipients and anyone turning 65. Medicare has approved new benefits not included with original Medicare and older Medicare Advantage plans. You may not be getting all of the benefits you're entitled to, including in-home aids, telephone appointments with your doctors, home-delivered meals and prescriptions. These benefits may be available and it's a free call to enroll. The new plans may also offer free eyeglasses, free hearing aids, free wellness visits, and gym memberships. Call the Medicare Benefits line now. It's easy. Call 800-518-2281. 800-518-2281. Find out if you're eligible for new benefits like meal and prescription delivery, in-home aids, and telemedicine. Some plans may have a $0 monthly premium or zero copays for big out-of-pocket savings. Not all Medicare Advantage plans are alike. The new plans have more benefits for many people. Call 800-518-2281. 800-518-2281. For several years, KCAA has been marketing the Longevity brand of nutritional and personal care products. Our experience with Longevity has been 100% positive, so we are pleased to recommend them to you. Regarding nutritional supplements, we recommend Pollen Burst in the berry flavor and Tangy Tangerine 2.0 in the tablet form. For regularity issues, we recommend 3-Day Cleanse, and for personal care, we recommend Morning Hydration Cream. You can shop online for Longevity at www.kcaateam.com, or you can order by phone by calling 800-982-3197 and tell customer support that you are part of the KCAA team. Longevity is an American company based in San Diego. Call Longevity at 800-982-3197 and ask about monthly auto ship that allows you to buy Longevity products at wholesale prices. 
That number again, 800-982-3197. Aviation Striping reminds us veterans will be returning home from overseas. These heroes have elite military training and need jobs. That's why Aviation Striping is encouraging all local businesses to make 2022 a year we hire smart and hire vets. That's courtesy of Aviation Striping, your disabled veteran business professionals with the right equipment, knowledge, and expertise for all your airport pavement marking and removal needs. Call Sam at 951-303-9914. That's 951-303-9914. Or visit www.aviationstriping.com. Sam and Maria Nicole served in the U.S. Marines and deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom during 2003. Semper Fi and USA all the way. Hoorah! It's time to shop in the cool, relaxed comfort of the Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands, conveniently located on the I-10 freeway between the Alabama and Tennessee exits. Bring the kids too and watch them play in the only indoor fun center. High Five Indoor Playground, where parents are welcomed on the playground. Birthday celebrations are encouraged, so make plans for some great fun at the mall. More reasons why the Tri-City Center is called the Mall with a Heart. First tattoo, huh? Yep. I wanted to read Tough on Psyllids, Easy on Bees. What's the story behind that? Well, on my orchard, I use this powerful stuff from BASF called Safina Inscalis Insecticide. Sorry, it's going to sting. So, Safina Insecticide? It's strong on psyllids and quickly limits HLB spread, but gentle on bees. Gentle on bees? Yeah. They're the bees' knees. Be strong and gentle with Safina Insecticide. Ooh, always read and follow label directions. K-C-A-A Welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and business. On today's show, Scott visits with Dr. Barbara Baker. Dr. Barbara Baker is a senior world champion barrel racer and former president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Zoo. Now here's your host, Scott Knudsen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Scott Knudsen. Whether you're listening to us on KCAA, the NBC affiliate out in California, or watching our podcast on one of our many platforms, we really appreciate it. Today, we got a very special show for you and a very fun show. We have Dr. Barbara Baker. She is president emeritus of the Pitts and CEO of the Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium, and she's a world champion barrel racer. Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. I'm very honored. Thank you so much oh, for having me. me. Me too. It's so much fun. And ever since I heard your talk, you know, I couldn't wait for other people that watch the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show to see you. And and we met in Dillon, Montana at a, at a great conference. And, and it was the uh, Horse, Human, and, and Nature Conference. And it was uh, presented by the University of Montana Western and the Montana Center for Horsemanship. And you gave a speech. And it, I'm still remembering what you talked about. It was so strong. So uh, it, it was truly a pleasure of the trip to get to meet you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. What a place. Oh, my gosh. You know, yeah. I'm so jealous. I wish I was young again. <laughs> yeah, I'm following them, you know, on their social media, uh, the, uh, uh, the kids and they're riding these horses and you can just see the excitement there. And, and uh, there was people from all over the world there for the event, mm -hmm. for the conference. It was a great time. Yep, it was. Man, so so let, let's talk about you. So so, how did you get into the horse industry, or did you grow up loving horses or riding horses, or both? 
I grew up actually on a farm in North Carolina. So you might pick up a little bit of Northern Southern accent, even though I'm a Northern person now. And uh, so I grew up on a farm in Stanford, North Carolina, and we had the typical cows, horses, pigs, you know, you name it. We didn't have horses until I came along and convinced my daddy. I begged him, I think, three years before he finally bought me a pony that <laughs> fucked me off every ways but backwards, that pitched me in a ditch, bit me, kicked me, everything you can possibly think of, that horse did. So it was pretty funny. So, oh, man. But you kept getting back on. And it got back on. I was yeah. determined. You know, That's Little awesome. Red was not going to get me. So. And so then I, I ended up uh, being very interested in being a, a veterinarian. So I went to vet school at Auburn, Alabama, and uh, then uh, was a zoo veterinarian, actually, for uh, eight and a half years. I started out at the Bronx Zoo in New York City and then went on to the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. That Bronx Zoo in New York City is still one of my favorite parks. It's just beautiful. Really? I mean, it's in the middle of... It's in the middle of the Bronx and it's 265 acres in the middle of the Bronx with these big old huge trees, just a oh. wonderful, wonderful park with all Man. these fabulous animals. Yeah, it's really cool. And then I went on to the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago and then down to the Riverbank Zoo in Columbia, South Carolina before joining the team here 31 years ago. Congratulations, so, yeah, I heard you just retired. I did, I'm loving it. <laughs> oh my goodness well it seems like you lived a lot of people's dream to get to ride horses growing up and, and work around all these fabulous animals for your for your career well it was fun you know I, the animals are just fabulous they, you know the the wild animals i've had i've been blessed to, to not only have the opportunity to work in fabulous zoos all across the country, but also to have an opportunity to go, you know, to the wild and travel to, you know, see the animals in the wild and to do projects in the wild and even rescue some animals from the wild. So that's pretty cool as well. So it wow. has been, I've been very blessed. Wow. So what, so what, so what attracted you to working in zoos as opposed to maybe opening your own veterinarian clinic? Well, I actually originally was not looking to be a zoo veterinarian. I was going to be a horse doctor, you know, and uh, but I Auburn, Alabama had a very active raptor rehabilitation program. For those that don't know, raptors are hawks, owls, eagles, ospreys, kites, and they had a very active program with that. And so I started working with the birds there. And then when I was working with the birds there, then I started working with the Montgomery Zoo and the Birmingham Zoo helping out with some of their birds and ended up getting interested in zoos that way. So it wasn't in my plan. I didn't. And when I was growing up, I had no experience with zoos at all. So, so cool how that path just kind of opened up for you. It was almost like it was meant to be. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think so, too. I agree. So how did you go from working on different um, birds and such to running the Pittsburgh Zoo? Because that's that's an incredible transition. It's a big change, huh? <laughs> it's, it's a huge deal because, you, you know, you're dealing with it. But then at the end, you, you know, you're administration, but you're also in charge of, you know, the animals and the tourism and everything else. Everything else. Yeah, yeah. Some days I wonder why in the world I decided to do that. I mean, I, you know, because you go from working with all these fabulous animals to working with people. But right. uh, no, they're all good. 
But um, I worked for, I was a zoo veterinarian for eight and a half years. And then I became interested. And as a zoo veterinarian, you're working on individual animals. So you're working on, you know, you might be working on a, a pair of rhino, but you're working on individual animals. You're not working on the species as a whole. And so I wanted to have a larger impact, see if I could have a larger impact on the species as a whole. And so I, so I, to do that, I had to move up to more of a uh, administrative role, more of a manager's role, uh, rather than working on the individual animals. And so um, I got my MBA at the uh, University of South Carolina because I did. My husband pointed out that I didn't know how to balance that I didn't balance my checkbook. <laughs> you know, he pointed that out to me. Now, I can balance my checkbook. But, you know, in life, you got to have priorities, you know. Absolutely. Ride the horse, balance your checkbook, you know. You go ride the horse, right? Absolutely. So, you know, but he did point out me that I knew nothing about finance or any of that accounting or any of that kind of stuff. So I went and got my MBA and then, uh, you know, started looking at various different zoos across the country where I thought I could help out and make it a better place. And Pittsburgh turned out to be a perfect fit for us. And so after 31 years, I'm finally retiring. Oh, wow. uh, but uh, yeah, they had to kick me out. But because uh, I, I think I probably would have stayed, you know, at least five or six more years. But it's good. It's very good. Uh, and it's a beautiful place. I'm, I've been very blessed and had a lot of fun there. Oh, that's so cool. That's such a great deal. And it's just um, a testament to your work for sure. But um, so so being the administrator, you know, the president and the CEO of the Pittsburgh Zoo, let's talk about that. Let's talk a little business. So how many animals or species were on, in the zoo? And when we actually um, we you mentioned when you introduced me, that it was Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium. Mm-hmm. So we're only one of the, there, we were one of only six zoos in the country, major zoos in the country that have a major aquarium as part of, on the same grounds as the zoo. And so that was, that was a very unique thing about the zoo. Uh, so we have a, almost 6,000 animals at the zoo wow. and uh, about 348 different species. So now about 2,000 of those, 2,500 are fish. You know, so, uh, and we don't count all of them, but uh, we have right. a lot of fish. We have 43 different tanks of fish. So, <laughs> pretty big. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Uh, so, to keep and then that crew actually, originally, when I started at the zoo, we only had five endangered species that we were working with. And by the time I left, we had developed programs for 52 endangered species that we were working very heavily with, especially with African elephants. We have a very major program with African elephants that we work with. So, well, I loved your story in, mm-hmm. in Montana, your, your elephant story. Would you mind talking a little bit about that, how you went over there the first time? Oh, that was fun. You know, we, we went over recently, I, I think you're referring to when we went, the video I showed. Yes. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we got a call. It's funny. We got a call from the um, person who's in charge of the committee that run that manages the breeding population of elephants in this country. And uh, that's called a species survival plan or SSP. We got a call from the leader of that. And she said that there was three there were three elephants in Botswana who were going to be shot. They were being shocked because one of the elephants had been involved in an altercation with a human, the trainer of the elephants. And unfortunately, he had gotten a punctured lung. 
Well, you know, here in Pittsburgh, you'd go to the hospital and they might even not keep you overnight. They'd probably just send you right back home again after treating you, right? But he was so far away from medical care that it took him two hours and bumpy, bumpy roads and bumpy vehicles to get him to the hospital. And unfortunately, he didn't make it. Well, in Botswana and in most of Africa, they have their laws are primarily for wild elephants. They're not for, for many animals that are actually captive. They don't have many captive elephants in Africa. And the ones they do are usually used for rides uh, in, you know, riding out on safari so you see the animals up close. And so they were actually going to shoot these three elephants uh, because they had been involved in a, a, the death of an individual, a human. And so they wanted to rescue these animals and bring them to the States. And so a wonderful family had saved these animals originally from a call back in South Africa many years ago. And so they called, they were searching everywhere to try to find somebody to take these animals. And uh, that's how it all came around to get to us. So we got a call and it was like, you know, okay, well, never I don't have a clue how you transport an elephant from Botswana you know to Pittsburgh you know that's a pretty hefty little run you know yeah, that's a pretty sure. long flight uh, and so you know but we pulled it off in six months time and it was dicey it was really interesting because we had to the government was seriously going to shoot these animals and we had to write I had to write a letter every month to the government and tell them of Botswana and tell them that, you know, we were making progress. We were had the crates being made and we were having the, well, I had booked a plane. You want to get a kick? Book your own 747. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a power trip right there. <laughs> that's a power trip right there, man. You know? I mean, that's like, oh, but um, yeah, awesome. it was, I mean, what else you can put three full grown? That's all you can do. Yeah. That's all you can yeah. do. And we were loading them, so we loaded them up. Uh, we taught them. They trained the elephants to go into crates, and then we got there and we loaded them into crates. They had to be picked up by a big old crane and put on trucks. We had to go 13 hours from Botswana to the Johannesburg Airport in South Africa, and then we were able to fly them up to Pittsburgh. And uh, it's a 19-hour flight, so long flight. Long I mean, flight. Long, long flight. flight. <laughs> yeah, goodness gracious. Uh, first time I'd ever been in the bubble, so that was kind of fun. But the <laughs> elephants did great. The elephants, you know, they were they were, you know, uh, one after the other in the in the um, plane, and so they could touch. They couldn't touch each other, but they could smell each other. They could interact with each other. They were completely fine. They they were not upset at all. We fed and watered them throughout the trip. Uh, you know, we had a little panel where we could open it up and they could put their trunk out and we could feed them the whole trip. And then we were able to offload them. And boy, that was a, that was such a positive thing to see them, you know, in Pittsburgh and to know we made it and oh. that we had, had rescued them to get them all the way back here was just amazing. You know, well, so. to put something together like that is just incredible. You know, like oh, you say with the yeah. plane, but you're moving three elephants in two different countries and and yeah. and going to you know from Africa to Pittsburgh, that, that's yeah. an and incredible the, feat. Oh, there was all kinds of problems. You wouldn't think of the problems. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, oh well, you know we've got these two mahouts. The mahouts are traditionally the trainers of elephants, right? Okay. And we've got 
Pumahoots. Well, they speak, um, they don't speak English. Neither one oh. of them speak English. So the elephants don't speak English. Right. The elephants don't know any commands in English, you know. So we're, we're trying to get visas to get the Mahoots to be able to come over to be with the elephants. And we almost didn't get them on the plane because we couldn't get the visas. And uh, but it was because we were going to have three elephants that we didn't. I mean, you don't normally speak elephant language like you don't normally speak horse language. But at least, you know, they know what woe means if right. you buy a horse make sure they know what woe means yes. and so but the the elephants didn't speak any english so you know we wow. had to bring them hoots over and have them stay for six months and teach our staff how to speak to the elephants <laughs> that is so cool it's such a big task that, and it's such a high profile task and and y'all did it you know and that's yeah. a that's a pressure play right there and that's really cool but it paid off for so long absolutely i, I mean just to go to governments right there alone is is challenging yeah very much so yeah so and you're in you know we're crossing borders so we're crossing borders our big our big concerns on the elephants where we're crossing borders between botswana and and south africa and you know where we're going to be given trouble there what was going to happen you know did we have all our papers in line you know it was it was something it took a good solid six months of training of uh planning but we got we got them home. You got yeah. it done. And since then, yeah, since then uh, we have a cap on the ground right now from one of them. So oh, how exciting. cool is that? Yes, yeah. absolutely. It, it's so cool what you just said. You know, you're on this plane, and you just slide the window, and there's an elephant trunk, and you're flying yeah. back to Pittsburgh. That's a cool story, you yeah. know. But it shows people you can do almost anything, if not everything, if you put your mind to it, and you make a plan, and you you work it. Scott will be right back with more from Dr. Barbara Baker. Hi, I'm Scott Knutson, host of the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Today, we're going to talk about something I'm really passionate about. Those that know me know I love my coffee. Those that don't, now you know I do. And we've been working on this for several months, and we, we wanted to get it just right. And we don't put our name on anything unless we feel 100% certain it's, it's the best product we can get. And uh, we, we've done it. I really believe we've done it. We've created a coffee line, 13 great flavors. I'm gonna show you three of them. We have K-Cups in all 13 flavors. Here's a Jamaican Me Crazy. It's a, just a really great coffee. Everyone has great logos. It has a brand, the same brand that's on our horses, our trailers. You know that brand means something and we wouldn't put it on here if it wasn't good coffee. We have whole bean. This is a great Honduran blend and uh, it's a whole bean coffee. We have whole bean in all 13 flavors. And then we have a ground coffee. Uh, this is a really great one. My wife and I really like this a lot, loved it. So we named it after our daughter, Hayes Glenn. Everyone has the packaging and the logo of the show, our brand, and I hope you like it. I, I really believe you will. And we're gonna have more flavors coming out soon. We're gonna have the pumpkin spices and then we're gonna go to peppermint after that. And please send us your suggestions as well. You can find it at cowboyentrepreneur.shop. Think coffee shop. Cowboyentrepreneur.shop. Thank you so much. We have a lot of entrepreneurs out here that, that watch our show or listen to us on KCAA. And they're wondering, how can we tackle something? And you did it in a magnificent way. So what yeah, would you, you tell them? So if there's somebody watching and they have a business, whether it's 
you know, whatever it is as an entrepreneur, how do you tell someone to tackle something? Maybe not as extravagant or as grand as what you did with the elephants, but how can they tackle something in their business? Well, I think when you look at your business, what you have to, what I think people don't tend to want to do uh, because they want to stand on their own and want to prove they can do something. But one of the things that I have learned the hard way is that you, you call on your friends. You really do. When you're tackling something that you don't know how to do and you don't know what to do, then you ask for help. I mean, there's so many people in the barrel racing world and I barrel race and there's so many people in the barrel racing world that are scared to talk to, you know, some of the big name people uh, and certainly you don't want to talk to them when they're getting ready to make the run. But when right. we're just sitting around the trailer or people are just sitting around, you know, they always are willing to try to help or to, you know, give you some advice or whatever. And the same is true in business. You know, I had no clue how to. I, I don't I don't rent planes. I have no idea how to move an elephant. You know, I called up a friend of mine who who runs a international uh, elephant, a international animal exchange business. And I called her up and I said, you know, I need to get three elephants out of Botswana. You know, who do I call? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, because oh, yeah. I don't know anything about it. You know, and she said, you come to the right place. And I'm like, great. Yay. Help me. Help me. That's and by awesome. the way, we got to do it fast. <laughs> yeah. Really fast. Yeah. There was pressure for the elephants, too. You know? Oh, yeah. Such such a cool story. So so with with the customers or your visitors at the zoo, I, I know you almost doubled it, if not doubled the amount of visitors. And, and it's one of the top attractions in the region, the Pittsburgh Zoo, the PPG Aquarium. Yep. How, how do you do that? Because it, it was good. And you start adding to it. What, what's your business plan? Well, what we did actually was a number of things. One was that when I took over at the zoo, I was originally working for the city of Pittsburgh. And so we started out with the city of Pittsburgh. Now, with a budget from the city, the city's focus is really on fire and water and police and all those kind of things, right? right. And not on really running a zoo. So we privatized the zoo about four years after I came on board. And that allowed us then to bring in a lot more community support because some people are a little nervous about funding government kind of things, mm -hmm. but they'll fund the zoo by itself. And then we were also able to go out and get a lot more help. And, and through that, then we were able to have the funds and the availability to do marketing and PR and get the word out. You know, back then we didn't have social media like we do now. Right. You know, so you you really had to rely on TV and radio and, and printed ads, uh, you know, that don't hardly exist anymore. But, you know, that was so very, very important at that time. And then we also, what we did was we put together what's called a regional asset district, which is a taxing entity that funds 1% sales tax funds uh, all of the cultural entities in Pittsburgh. So we put that together, yeah, so that we could also have additional funding. So through that additional funding, then we were able to build new exhibits, create excitement, tell people about it, because you can build anything new, but if people don't know about it, they're not going to come. Absolutely. You know, for whatever program you're doing, you know, so and we kept marketing and, and developing more PR and, and having positive stories. I think that's the other thing you've got to do as an entrepreneurial and as a as a as a business person. You've got to have integrity. 
you got mm-hmm. to have trust. People have to believe you. They have to trust in you. And you've got to be a good salesman. Right. Uh, for lack of a better way to put it. You know, even in the zoo world, it's just, you're selling uh, the, a, a, a recreational visit for people to come. Or you're selling a conservation program for people to support conservation in, in Africa. Or you're, you're supporting a new exhibit and trying to find support for that. So you're constantly trying to excite people about what you're excited about. Yeah, I love that. You're just selling your passion. And, exactly. and Yeah, I, I love that. So what was one of your favorite outreaches? Was it Christmas or was it where the classrooms were able to adopt an animal or um, what was something that was really just a fun, feel good kind of deal? Well, one of the things we do at the zoo, which is, is kind of a fun, feel-good thing, if you talk about it, is we have, uh, during the winter, because we do have a little bit of winter up here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you do, you do. Just a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit. Uh, you know, uh, we have penguin walks. So the birds, the penguins love coming out in the snow. They just love coming out in the snow, right? But they can only come out if it's 40 degrees or below. And so we started in the winter months when it's 40 degrees below, we walk the penguins outside. So we'd walk them right out of their exhibit, right outside, right down the public pathway, and then walk them back up again. And people love it. They absolutely will come out. I mean, like there'll they'll be, you know, a thousand people out and it'll be 20 degrees outside. And I'm looking at them going, I'm going out there to see a penguin. <laughs> But they come because it's just so cool to see them walking around. You but know? see, I love that entrepreneurial mind you have and, and just, you know, finding a solution, you know, for during the winter, what are we going to do? And just let's have a penguin walk. I love the uniqueness of it and the simplicity, but it's so powerful. It works. Well, what we what I tried to look at was and we did this in a lot of exhibits we did, too, is what if it, if it excites the staff, if it excites us. And we had done the penguin walks before the visitors came on grounds, you know. And, and one day we looked at each other and said, well, why don't we do them when the visitors are here? You know, and, you know, can we control it? Because the birds are like toddlers. They just go wherever they want. To go, <laughs> you know, they, they yeah. just go wherever they want. They waddle off and you got to try to catch up with them. You yeah, know? some of my buddies uh, are like because... that. <laughs> <laughs> And so you've got to try to keep up with them. And so they just kind of wander off. And so we kind of looked at things that if it excited us and we thought it was cool, then people thought it was cool, you know. That's awesome. And so a lot of the things that we did, we incorporated that. There was a, um, you know, we had a a fence line between, um, behind a bunch of bushes at our tiger exhibit. And one of our staff members would sneak back there and, and look at the tigers. And I'm, I'm looking at, I caught him back there one day and I said, what are you doing? He said, there's a great view of the tigers here. He said, it's really close. You're right, right nose to nose. And I'm like, you're really not supposed to be nose to nose. You do realize that, right? Because this fellow was the COO. He wasn't like an uh, animal person. Uh, you know? And so what we ended up doing was we, we actually developed a viewing window there. So that, and then the tiger does walk straight at you and nose to nose with you. And so those types of experiences were the things that we, if it excited us and it was good for the animal, like the penguin walks, penguins love the walks, right? You know, then, then it was, it was a win-win all around. So, so smart, but it, it's so much fun, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's so much fun, you know, coming up with a solution that, 
is like that, you know, and like the CEO seeing this is a great view and it, but you're wise enough to say, let's make it a public view and you fix it. That's, that's awesome. But, and that's a great lesson for any entrepreneur watching, you know, if you find something that works, don't be afraid to do it. Right. Yeah. If it excites you, then it's liable to also incite your market. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. So, so working with birds and now you transported the elephants and you have all these things going on. So what was one of your favorite animals at the zoo? Oh my gosh, it's hard to hard to say because you know we have a fabulous collection of tigers. They're mm. one of the most beautiful cats in the world. Just wonderful, wonderful animals. You know we've got great rhinos uh, at our zoo. We we breed black rhinos, and awesome. so they are fabulous, fabulous animals. And uh, uh, scaredest I've ever been was in the wild. We we were in uh, Africa one time, and we were doing a re- uh, research project on, uh, and we were actually uh, collecting rhino semen you know, mm. to freeze, to bring back to the States, to bring in new bloodlines. And so uh, we had tranquilized this one rhino. And normally when you reverse the tranquilization, the animal gets up kind of slow. Well, this rhino didn't get up kind of slow. Oh, no. He, you know, the needle was still in his ear and he's standing up, popping up and madder than a hornet because black rhinos are madder than hornet. They're oh. like Arabian horses, just hot, hot, hot. <laughs> and so he came, he popped up, spun around, came flying at us. And I've never run so fast in my life. And there were three people in front of me and we were all hauling butt for the truck. You know, and just jumped over the side and, and dove in and landed in a big pile together. But um, and he hit the side of the truck, but fortunately everything was okay. But oh my boy, goodness, they, they, they can run. You, they're like they're like they're really sort. Of, they're like Arabian horses, but they're more like quarter horses. They're sprinters. They can run really fast for a short period of time. So gotcha. black rhinos can. So and they have very poor eyesight. So they just go. They hit something and go. What was that? Yeah. So they'll run really fast over you and they won't realize it. Right. They won't know. They won't know. Yeah. They have oh, no idea. No. Yeah. Oh, no. Octopuses, you wouldn't know it, but octopuses are one of the most intelligent animals that we work with. And octopuses huh. are, we, we have fun with them because, you know, you'll put a jar in there and we'll put, we'll put something in the jar for them to play with. And they'll unscrew the lid of the jar and, you know, open it up, take the lid off you know, get down in high inside of it, pull whatever's out, out, you know, and, and play with it for hours. Oh my goodness. How cool yeah, is that? They're very, very smart animals. You wouldn't think so. They're you wouldn't, smart. not at all. No, not at all. That That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with more from Dr. Barbara Baker. For more information on Scott Knudsen, the Cowboy Entrepreneur, visit us online at cowboyentrepreneur.com. So, so natural horsemanship. I heard you talking about that with some of your animals, with the elephants and maybe some of the other animals. So this is another thing for the entrepreneurs and other people is, is figuring out solutions for problems or maybe not even problems, but just to do things easier. Right. Would you talk yeah, a little yeah. bit about how you came up with that? Because that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but. Oh, you know, man. We, I, we have, we were blessed with a very, very good elephant manager, Willie Tyson. And Willie's a good friend of mine. And he was teaching me about how he works with elephants. And he, I realized as, and about the same time, natural horsemanship was starting to become known in our industry. 
and we were starting to see more and more uh, horse people talking about natural horsemanship. So this was 15 years ago, you know, and so we were really starting to see that. And I was paying attention to it because I liked it a lot and I liked the philosophies a lot. And so I was trying to figure out a way to encapsulate what Willie does because Willie does natural horsemanship with his elephants. That's exactly what he does. He watches body language and he figures out what the animal's going to do with that body language. And then he uses that to try to figure out how to best manage the animals and how to take care of them and how to have them do what he wants them to do, right? Without, so building a relationship with the animals and learn and having the animals respect and trust you, you know, and when you have an animal that weighs anywhere from 8,600 to, you know, 11,000 pounds, you know, and, and is 10 and a half feet tall, you know, you, you need to figure out ways to work with that animal. And right. certainly uh, being abusive to the animal is not the way to get it done. No, no, no. No, no. that's not going to work with an elephant. No, no way. No. So uh, we were looking at ways to, to try to train the next generation of people to be elephant trainers and elephant handlers and to work with their animals. So I went all over, I literally went all over the country looking at different programs. I went to a John Lyons program and his program was primarily based in the saddle. And I really needed a program that was based at Liberty, you know. So uh, I went to, I talked to actually Monty Roberts. I talked to Monty Roberts, fabulous person. And, but he was in England at the time. So he couldn't help us out. And so, and he was going to be there for a while. And so he was, he was uh, very supportive, but, um, you know, he, he couldn't help. So then I, I came upon a Pat Pirelli program uh, and went to it in, down in Florida. And uh, there we were, now we were working at Liberty, you know, we're working with a lot of times without the halter even. And we were trying to get the horse to do things that we wanted to do. Uh, and that seemed to have a lot more application to it. So then, uh, of course, then I had to figure out, well, how do we apply it to the zoo? So I found this wonderful trainer, Jesse Peters, who's over in Greenville, Ohio. And Jesse, by far, is the best adult education, educator I've ever met in my life. I mean, Jesse wow. just fabulous. He looks wow. just like Woody from Toy Story. I mean, he's like six, I'm serious, he's six feet, seven inches tall. Then he adds a hat on, you know, so he's huge, you know, I'm this little dinky thing. And then he, you know, and then he, and he dresses like, he just, the cowboy, he looks so much like Woody, it's hilarious. That's but awesome. he's great. He's awesome. He's so good with, with adults. And uh, he's now working with Pat, with um, Linda Pirelli, with uh, her program. Uh, and so, but um, Jesse came over and we talked for a while and we looked at how we could apply. And Jesse's first comment was, you know, I don't know anything about elephants. I don't want to be an elephant trainer, you know? And I'm like, well, that's good because we don't want you to be. <laughs> <laughs> we got that. That We got that, Barb. Yeah. We want to figure out how to train the next generation. And so it was really fun. So he said, well, I'll, I'll show you my program. We'll go through it. We'll take some classes. So we first started out with the elephant keepers and we ran them through a program where we had morning classes um, where we would sit down in a classroom at the zoo and have a morning class and then in the afternoon we'd take them to the barn and work with the horses and it was pretty funny I tell you I've got some great pictures because you know 
99% of the people at the zoo had never worked with a horse before, you know, never worked with a horse and certainly not, you know, worked with one they never met before, you right. know, but we would take them to the barn and we'd put them in a stall with a horse and we'd, and we'd explain how you put the halter on and they'd be like, oh, no, 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 you know, <laughs> that thing's Isn't that bed. funny? You know, Isn't that you know, funny? People who work with elephants, you know, and they're like, oh, I don't want to go in that stall, you know, so, but um. Yeah, we had a fabulous time. And so so we we trained, we started out with the elephant keepers. And then I thought, you know, this has a lot of application for how we treat all of our animals. Mm -hmm. You know, because all of our animals basically are at liberty, right? We don't have a halter or a lead rope on any of our animals. And so I started expanding it to the rhino keepers, to the hoofstock keepers, the zebras, the you know, the the impalas gazelles all those kind of things and then on out to the rest of the uh, even the cat keepers and everybody started getting involved and then we started getting people requesting to go I want to go to the training program I want to you know everybody's talking about it I want to go and so uh, we had a beginner's course where you know yes. first time people would go and then we'd have a continuing education course where the you know people could learn more and go and so basically they would learn about how a horse thinks and then they'd have to put it together with how a human thinks and try to try to communicate. And it was so much fun because you had these people on the end of the lead line and they've got a horse at the other end of it. And we tell them, OK, now walk it out into this arena and now you're going to do these. You know, we want you to walk over this tarp and jump over that thing and you know we want you to stand on this thing and make it go around in circles and they're they've never seen a horse before <laughs> i love it i love it oh, they're like oh. you know, so, yeah which is funny because you know you're you're dealing with people that you know work with tigers and lions yeah that's what's so funny about it you know, they're used to these exotic animals and a horse but i guess it's what you're used horse. to you know, yeah, but I not, guess it goes back to business. It's what you're used to and you get out of your zone. It's kind of uncomfortable a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because you're you, on top of that. The thing that intrigued me about it was that it it makes you think differently about your leadership skills. Yes, absolutely. You know, you have to think differently about your leadership skills. You know, you right. I, I, can't, I can't tell that horse, hey. I'm president and CEO, so get your butt over there. You know, it doesn't work with a horse. Doesn't work. No. Looking at me going, I don't know what she said. You know, <laughs> you know I like the tone. I love it. <laughs> so I'm leaving. I so so creating this you know this natural and running your employees through it and then they're asking to be educated. That's a that's a mind shift when you can take your entire staff and, and have them change mentally and asked to be educated and trained and go through classes because that's a fight for a lot of businesses. Oh yeah, it was really funny because I, I had people from every single department. So our whole maintenance department went through it, our horticulture department, you know, our accounting department, our CFO. Our CFO had never seen a horse before. Oh know? my. And in, in person, in person, you know. Right, Never right. seen a horse in person, you know. And here she is, she's like, ah. I don't know what to do. And and they don't speak the language. They don't know what the horse needs. You know, they don't know what language the horse speaks. They they don't know what commands to use. And they've got to figure out 
how to up their leadership so that they can make this work. And so it, it was very, very good from a standpoint of it's very hard to find adult education programs right. that are interesting where you're not just sitting in a classroom for eight hours, you know, filling out sheets and workbooks on the wall and that sort of stuff, you know, and where you're challenged, you know, Absolutely. you're literally challenged. And yeah. so when you take people that are in accounting or in, you know, marketing or PR or, you know, horticulture or grounds or whatever, and or even aquarium, you know, and you put them with a horse and say, now you got to make, you got to, you, you need to be the leader. And on top of that, we cheated because Jesse and I knew our horses, right? Because I, I, we used his horses and my horses. And so we would, we would pick which horse we were going to put with people. And then oh, we wow. would rotate people around. So, you know, if we had a smart aleck who knew it all and, you know, I know everything about leadership and, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to learn anything about leadership from you guys. You know, I'm just coming because Barbara says I got to. And, uh, you know, we put them with the, you know, six month old filly that didn't know squat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll humble you. Yep. It was full of fighting vinegar, you know, just uh, ready to go. So. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I loved how all the employees, even accounting, you know, in the aquarium had that had that relationship. They all been through something together. You know, yeah. that's that's really cool. They had something in common. Yeah, we have a staff of about uh, full time, usually right around 140, 148 people. And uh, we had over 160 go through the program. So it was pretty cool over the course of the many years that we did it. So. That's awesome. I bet that was so much fun to watch. and so funny. <laughs> So there were a lot of funny things. I bet so. I bet so. So you were one of the youngest CEOs in the zoo industry. And so so what's some advice for somebody that's young that's maybe starting their own business or maybe they're becoming a CEO of a business? How how did you do that and accept that challenge and then lift your zoo to the top? Well, I think uh, that you learn as you go. So you Mm -hmm. certainly learn a tremendous amount when you're first president and CEO. You make a lot of mistakes. I think the key thing is to continue to not get frustrated about your mistakes because everybody makes them, you know, whether they admit to them or not, especially when you're young and you're starting out. Um, I think it's key. I I think it's key to uh, almost uh, from a perspective of the natural horsemanship, um, not not be, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, on a power trip but rather be uh, someone who has a job to do and wants to get that job done in the best way they can. And so we always told our employees to park their egos at the door, you know, uh, and, and the drama, because I didn't like drama. You no, know, park, no. park the drama and the ego at the door and we got a job and want to get it done, you know. And so let's figure out how we can get it done uh, and work together. I think that's key. And communicate, communicate, communicate. Right. I mean, that, that's so important. And, and from the and it can, you cannot possibly communicate too much from the top. Right. I mean, you know, I could talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week and still not communicate enough uh, to 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 really reach every single person within the organization that that uh, wants to be reached. So it's a very challenging role. 
It, it, it is. Yeah, but you're good at it. And plus, I think you being down there with your horses, training these guys on natural horsemanship and you being around them and going on penguin walks and coming up with ideas and the CEO's got an idea and you're there. I think you're so accessible. I, I think that's a part of it. I think that's huge. I think that that you can't. It's very, very easy, especially today to get locked in your office or to get yeah. locked behind the computer and spend all day long on the emails you know, and not get outside. Yeah, not get out with your customers, not get out with your visitors, not get out with your staff. And that's really what a leader needs to do more than anything, you know, is to do that. Yeah. I so I would try to walk the zoo grounds in the morning before everything got crazy, you know, right. because before everything started to hit, because yeah. otherwise you get called up with meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You got to get out there. It's your business. I, I love that. So, so, uh, so you're a world champion barrel racer. So we're going to talk horses and, and barrel races. That's, you know, I love I like business a lot. I love business, but I really have a passion for horses. So um, world champion barrel racer. So how did you start barrel racing? So from the time your horse was training you when you were younger and, and you were getting back on, getting back on to becoming a world champion. Well, I always rode. I rode my entire life, but I just okay. trail. I, I did not barrel race. And then one of my daughters, we have seven kids. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Communicate, <laughs> communicate, communicate. Communicate, communicate, communicate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have seven kids. And one of my daughters was interested in barrel racing. Uh, she had tried the showmanship and all that kind of stuff. And and then one day she, she went to... Uh, fun race and ran barrels and it was over you know she's like I ain't painting any more toenails anymore <laughs> I'm not watching any horses I'm getting on my pony and run as fast as I can awesome. and so uh, awesome. we were we were into barrel racing and so uh, we got lucky enough to hook up with a uh, world famous trainer uh, Sue Belogna who won the Fort Smith maturity many years ago and Sue lives right up the road from us and so we started training there when Casey, my daughter, though, went off to college, she's one of their one of these kind of been there, done that girls. So she's like, you know, um, I said, well, you want me to keep your horse in shape and, you know, I'll ride it. I'll ride him during the winter and then you can come home. No, mom, I'm kind of done. I'm done with that. I'm like, oh, crap. OK, because now we have the little horse tra trailer. You know, we got everything. And I'm like, OK, all right. So I took the horse up to Sue's, my trainer. And I said, and the trailer, and I said, Sue, I need you to help me sell this horse and this trailer. And she's like, no, 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 no. You can ride that horse. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That horse is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Had all kinds of alley issues. You know? <laughs> like, no way. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Uh -uh. But she was very persuasive. Yeah. And so she talked me into it. And so I've been running now since 2009. And just for fun, I just have a good time. I've, I've just been really blessed with really good horses. So uh, the Lord's been very good to me in that part, but I don't know why. Yeah, but, well, you uh, got a lot of talent, too. To, um, oh, no. I just yeah. hang on to that horn. That horn is your friend. <laughs> hang on to that horn. <laughs> your best friend. Your best friend. So so what's that on the wall back there with the bow? Oh, that actually is a cool thing. A friend of mine made that for me. It's a. Um, it's all made out of horseshoes. So it's a horseshoe uh belt belt holder so it's a it's a belt buckle holder 
And so it's all horseshoes and horse nails all welded together. And then those are some belt buckles I've won over the years. Congratulations. That is so cool. Yeah, I thought it was really, really neat because I couldn't find anything to go up the pipe. You see, we've got a wood burning stove and I couldn't find anything to go up there uh, to hold the belt buckles. So I thought that would be fun. So, yeah, it worked out pretty cool. Absolutely. You just went out and won some races and got you something on the wall. Got me something on the wall. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, so I guess you ride quarter horses. I do. Yeah, I actually ride a paint. So I've paint. had quarter horses. Right now I'm riding a paint. My my world champion is a paint. Uh, and ironically, he's 19. He'll be 20 this year. So um, I'm looking for a new one now. But um, and he's been great. Uh, he's been uh, he was a actual horse I hauled many many years for the little girl that owned him. And then when she went off to college, her dad called me and said, you know, you're the only person I'd want to have him. And so I wrote him and uh, we, we've been very blessed. Uh, he just loves the pen at Worlds, NBHA Worlds. And so down in Perry, Georgia, it's a beautiful facility. And so we've been very blessed down there. That is so, so, so neat. So neat. So I, I love, I think we were talking and you're kind of telling me your turnout. So you run for a while, then you kick them out for a while and that'll be a horse. Yeah, I do. We, we uh, well, you know, it is winter in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, it's not so much fun to ride in winter in Pittsburgh, unless you have an indoor and I don't. So, right. but I've always, what I've always tried to do with my horses is that our, our season kind of runs from March through uh, worlds our last race is worlds which is the last week of october first week of november and then i let them be horses i kick them out on the pasture and i'll let them be horses until the first of march again early march according to weather around here march mid-march and uh first of april and then so they just they get that whole time off so i pull the shoes and you know uh let them be horses and oh. uh, that that works out really well for them and i think that's that that has built into the longevity I've had with my horse because I got him when he was 14 and uh, now he's 19 going on 20 and last year he ran faster at work he ran the fastest times we've ever run at world oh so he goodness. ran 250 nose I'm like what are you doing oh my goodness <laughs> you're, old. you're old oh come on that's that's it that's is. smoking it yeah that so. is smoking it well, it has to be something to your ability for riding and that horse's mentality and heart. But also, I think laying them off that long and letting them be a horse and rest up, I think that has to have something to do with it. Well, I think the other thing that has a lot to do with it, too, is the horsemanship, the natural horsemanship, whatever, you know, clinician that you lose to learn that. But the natural horsemanship teaches you how to read and understand the horse that you have. And so, you know, I had one horse, one of my barrel racing horses, the very first one I started out with, you literally could not ride her. I never rode her. You believe that? I no, never rode I, I, I'm just trying I to- I tried to ride that horse, but I could never ride that horse. That so how horse come? Had, how come? She had been blown up uh, as a paturity horse. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing against paturities, but she had been blown up and she had been treated. She had not been treated like a horse. So- for nine years, she was not put with another horse because she was too valuable a horse oh, to wow. be with another horse for nine years, you know. And so I got her and uh, Jesse helped me figure out that she was literally catatonic. Uh, she was she was just so locked down that you couldn't get in, get her to do anything. But if you got on her, 
she was just, you know, flat out, you know, go as fast as she possibly could. And she right. had no in between. I literally, Scott, tried for a year and a half to get that horse to trail run. A year and a half to get that horse to trail run. Wow. And never could. So, but barrel racing, she is great. She was right. like riding a horse. It was amazing. So, so what I would do is I would pony her to condition her, to get her in shape. And we'd pony for three to four, five miles when I was getting her in shape. And then uh, when I went to the barrel race, I would lunge her. And then I'd get on her, the horse before, the horse, when the horse in front of me went right. down the alleyway, right. I would get on her. And then I would go down the alleyway, make my run, come back down and get off her again. You could not ride that horse. But in the arena, in the barrel pattern, that was her zone. That was her comfort zone. That was her job. She loved it. She yeah. absolutely loved running. And it was like riding a Porsche. It's the only horse I've ever barrel raced on. Most of those pictures you see with people on barrel race and they're grimacing because, you know, they're trying to hang on so bad. Yeah. She's the only one that I smile going around the barrels because it was just so smooth. But see, but it was worth that I, effort, you know, and you figuring that out. You have to, to figure that out. Yeah, you have to. So like with my horse I'm running right now, he's a, I'm not okay. Are you okay, horse? Right. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. You know, so, right. you know, you have to have him away from the pen. You can't have him up at the arena. You, you've got to warm him up away from the pen as far away as you can get. And then you bring him up to the pen when it's time. So, you know, you, you I take him back to the stall. I let him rest for a minute. I rest for a minute, pray, have a look. Yeah, loop. absolutely. Don't fall off, don't fall down. <laughs> don't let me fall off, don't let me fall off. Because so, we've done both. And right. so, <laughs> you know, and so, and then I get back on and we go make a run. And so it's just understanding what your horse needs to set him up to succeed. If right. you can figure out what your horse needs, what your horse's personality is, what he needs to be most comfortable to go in there and enjoy his job, you know, then it, you know, it can, and can work out very well for you. you I, I love that so time. much because it's showing patience and just watching your horse and let your horse tell you what he wants or she wants to be a better horse. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and a lot of people, you know, and it's no disrespect, but they'll get on a horse, try it a few times, say it's not for me, you know, but you take that time and effort you figure out the best pattern, the best way to work them. And, uh, it usually works out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just recently tried out a horse, a barrel horse, because like I said, my horse is 20 now, so right. they're not going to run forever. Right. And although right. I can't convince him of that, but you know, <laughs> but, you know, he could slow down a little bit. I'd be fine in the 3D. I don't have to be in 1D. I'd be fine in the 3D. But no, he won't be in 1D. No. But anyway, um, but you know, I just tried out a horse and, and the people said, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, where do you want to set up barrels blah 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 and I said yeah I've seen I had watched videos of the horse run I said I've seen the barrels I don't need to see the barrels I said I want to spend time with him in his stall you know I do want to ride him around a little bit you know but I just want to spend time with the horse you know I don't need to make a barrel run right you know I've Love seen that. him make a barrel run. you know I need to figure out what type of horse this is and whether he's gonna you know enjoy being with me I love that so much <laughs> so much yeah. So, so uh, I guess what, so besides horses, 
is there any exotic animals or is there any unique animals at your house or have you already done that? Well, we've already done that. When the kids yeah. were growing up, you know, we had various different, uh, gosh, we've raised lion cubs here. We've raised clouded leopard cubs here. They're so cute. They're about this big, you know, <laughs> just teeny little thing. So, so we've raised, cute. you know, we've had uh, all kinds of uh, cats here that we've raised and, uh, you know, an anteater once and, uh, oh God, I don't know, a whole host of things. But uh, no, we actually, uh, we have, my husband trains protection dogs. So uh, we have Schutz and dogs. Uh, protection dogs, German shepherds. Wow. And then, cool. uh, you know, and but you can train anyway. I've got a cat that. Uh, KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Mm-hmm.